Indian Lake. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, January 18th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. In Albany today, the State Senate Judiciary Committee holds a hearing on Governor Kathy Hochul's choice for the next state the, for the state's next chief judge. Opponents of Hector LaSalle include several Democratic state senators. But law experts say he's being mischaracterized. Unfortunately, it kind of looks, smells, and tastes like What has happened with regard to the United States Supreme Court, where you have these ideologues that are insisting that they have a particular kind of justice on the court. Also coming up, we'll meet a young Mohawk artist who's learning more about her culture through the delicate craft of beading. I will pierce the fabric with the needle, pull it all the way through, and then I will go back through the two beads and that is one stitch and come in from the cold and dance this weekend we'll talk with adirondack musician dan duggan who will teach and call circle square reels and contradances all to live music on saturday night at tawny and canton all that's coming up on northern light stick with us Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by St. Joseph's Addiction Treatment and Recovery Centers, celebrating 50 years of healing individuals, reuniting families, and strengthening communities, stjoestreatment.org. And by Fort de la Presentacion, helping to educate and recreate historical ventures of interest to the St. Lawrence region, fort1749.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The State Senate Judiciary Committee will hold a high-stakes hearing today to consider Governor Kathy Hochul's choice to lead the state's highest court. Hector LaSalle would be the first Latino chief judge in New York, but he currently does not have the votes among Democrats to be confirmed. From Albany, Karen DeWitt reports. Opponents of LaSalle's confirmation, including 14 Democratic state senators, say some of his opinions issued in his current role as the head of a mid-level appeals court show that he is anti-abortion rights, anti-union, and against due process. Senator Kristen Gonzalez, who, like LaSalle, is of Puerto Rican heritage, is asking the governor to pull the nomination. Please deliver a nominee that aligns with the values of all New Yorkers, that will fight for our rights, stand with unions, and immigrants. The court has leaned more conservative in recent years, and opponents worry that choosing LaSalle, a former prosecutor, to lead the high court could cement a conservative-leaning majority for years to come. Hochul is undeterred by the opposition. Hector LaSalle, our next chief judge of the New York State Court of Appeals. She doubled down on support for her nominee, holding a rally over the weekend with key Latino and Puerto Rican political leaders, as well as the minority leader of the U.S. House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries. Hochul says opponents are unfairly distorting a handful of cases where LaSalle signed on to unanimous agreements issued by the court. I saw the cases, even those that are being maligned and used against him, and they are false, being falsely represented, and that's what I will not stand for. 
Albany Law School professor Vin Bonventry, an expert on the Court of Appeals who wrote a report that showed the court's increasingly conservative direction, agrees with the opponent's desire to curb that trend. But Bonventry, who says he himself is a liberal Democrat, says LaSalle's rulings in the cases in question are nuanced, and they do not show that he's against abortion, labor rights, or due process rights. He's absolutely being misrepresented. His votes are being totally mischaracterized. Bonventre says the court's reputation has suffered in recent years, but having an ideological fight over LaSalle is not the way to restore it. Unfortunately, it kind of looks, smells, and tastes a little bit like what has happened with regard to the United States Supreme Court, where you have these ideologues that are insisting that they have a particular kind of justice on the court, someone who matches their own ideologies. Otherwise, they're completely and utterly against the individual. Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Brad Hoylman-Siegel says he views the impassioned arguments over the selection of the new chief judge as encouraging. He says it's a natural outgrowth over the concerns of the increasing politicization of the nation's high court. There's no more important nominee in my time in the Senate than this chief judge. It will set the course for the next decade or longer. Hoylman Siegel, who has not publicly said how he might vote, says LaSalle will get a full and fair hearing, where his rulings as a judge, as well as his career as an assistant district attorney on Long Island, will be thoroughly examined. And hopefully we'll get a much better sense of his vision for the Court of Appeals, and then my colleagues and I can make our decision accordingly. Hochul and state Senate leaders are also at odds over the confirmation procedure itself. Senate Democrats believe that if the Judiciary Committee rejects LaSalle, then the matter is settled and the governor will have to select another name. But Hochul maintains that the full Senate has to vote on LaSalle regardless of what the committee decides. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. A 43-year record in speed skating was shattered not once but twice at the World University Games in Lake Placid Monday. In the 5,000-meter race, Italy's Riccardo Lorello beat legendary Olympian Eric Haydn's time on Lake Placid speed skating track. Haydn's time of 7 minutes and 2.29 seconds at the track was held up since his five-gold medal performance at the 1980 Winter Games. Lorello Lorello crossed the finish line at 6 minutes and 53.22 seconds, taking the gold in the event. Moments later, Italian teammate Danielle DiStefano finished at 6 minutes and 55.22 seconds, earning him a silver medal. Also Monday, all three women who medaled in the five and the excuse me, in the 3,000-meter race, broke the track record. Canada's Laura Ann Hall, Korea's Jiwoo Park, and Canada's Roseanne Grenier all beat the previous track record set by Norwegian Norwegian Eva Bjorg Jensen, also at the 1980 Winter Games. 
The city of Watertown is looking into selling electricity from its hydropower dam on the Black River to local residents and businesses. According to the Watertown Daily Times, the city council was expected to greenlight a study last night to investigate the possibility. Watertown has sold the hydropower to National Grid since 1991, but that contract expires in 2030. A consultant concluded the city could make 500000 to $4 million selling hydropower directly to consumers. That's less than National Grid's payments, but it'll lessen the blow, said Mayor Jeff Smith, according to the paper. Governor Hochul's plan to build new housing units across the state has created some rumblings of concern over local control of zoning codes. As WSHU's J.D. Allen reports, in suburban New York City and Long Island, the opposition is already fierce. During her State of the State address, Hochul proposed the New York Housing Compact, which would oversee the building of 800,000 new housing units statewide over the next 10 years. On Long Island, it would set a goal for Nassau and Suffolk County to meet a 3% growth of new housing creation every three years. Oyster Bay Town Supervisor Joe Saladino says he's concerned about the impact of 300,000 potential new units in residential areas would have on overcrowding in classrooms, street traffic, and emergency services. We have to save our suburbs from turning into urban centers. Under the plan, if the locality fails to meet its goal, the state would step in and expedite the approval process for developers, even breeze through the state environmental review process. I'm J.D. Allen on Long Island. Keep up with NCPR throughout the day on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and at our website, ncpr.org. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresky. Are you ready to dance? Well, we'll preview a winter community dance in Canton this weekend. That's coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by North Country Children's Museum, Potsdam, New York, with hands-on and minds-on exhibits and programs for children 12 and under and their families. Open Wednesday to Sunday, 10 to 5, northcountrychildrensmuseum.org. And by Mountain Orthotic and Prosthetic Services, committed to providing professional and compassionate care with offices in Lake Placid, Plattsburgh, and Malone. Details and referrals at mountainonp.com. Mo 
Mohawk people have been making beaded jewelry for thousands of years. It's a practice deeply ingrained in a lot of native cultures. And today we're going to meet a young Mohawk beater who's based in the Adirondacks. Jocelyn Jock was driving. Sekosk, Deglios Young Yucks. I'm from Akwesasne originally. Deglios also goes by her English name, Jocelyn Jock. Jock beads intricate earrings and other artwork, but it wasn't until she left home that she found a passion for this part of her culture. Emily Russell brings us her story. Jocelyn Jock was driving through the Adirondacks recently when she spotted a dead porcupine on the side of the road. So she pulled over and started plucking out its quills. At first, I was just like pulling like handfuls out of it and like just thanking the creator and everything. Jock makes jewelry with those quills. They're hollow, so they act like a kind of bead. I like went to get in my car to drive away and I was like, I can't just leave it there. So I like just threw it in the back and then I drove home. At her home in Bloomingdale, Jock keeps those quills in a little clear box. They're about two inches long, a kind of pale white color, and are super sharp. Jock says it took her five whole days to harvest these. Each porcupine has about 30,000 quills on it, and you have to pluck them individually by hand. You have to wash them individually, you have to boil them, you have to dry them, and then you have to trim them. Jock first learned to bead when she was just six years old, but it didn't turn into a big part of her childhood. She lived in Akwesasne, but went to school off the reservation in Messina. During the day, she'd be surrounded by white people and white culture. Jock says bouncing between worlds was really hard. I wasn't white enough to fit in with the white kids, and I wasn't native enough to fit in with the native kids. So it was kind of just like a really back and forth of having to like walk a very particular line. Eventually, she left Akwesasne, moved to the Adirondacks for college. But then she started going back home to see family. That is when she really began beating on a regular basis. I would visit with my mom, and that's, that's what we would do. She would teach me, and we'd kind of just talk, and we would beat, and that would be like our hanging out when I would go home. And then COVID happened, so I stopped going home so often, and I started doing it here. She watched videos on YouTube, found patterns on Pinterest. Jock has been beading now for years. I am just going to bring the beads down to the end of the string. She's beading now onto a piece of felt. Jock tightens the two tiny beads up. And then I will pierce the fabric with the needle. Pull it all the way through. And then I will go back through uh, the two beads. And that is one stitch. One stitch takes her about 30 seconds. So beaded earrings can take anywhere from 4 to 40 hours to make. She beads either on her lunch break or when she's not working at Nori's, a natural food store in Saranac Lake. Right now, she sells her earrings on commission. Almost all of my coworkers on the cafe side have them. Um, Almost everyone at Nori's has a pair of my earrings. That voice you hear in the background is Jock's older sister, Presley Ransom. My name is Presley. I'm 30 years old from Akwesasne. Ransom and Jock live together, along with their other sister, Keely, and Ransom's husband. Like Jock, Ransom bounced between native and white cultures as a kid, never feeling like she fit in anywhere. Ransom says that really left a mark on her. I really suppressed my culture. I never learned how to bead. I never learned how to dance. And I never learned how to cook. 
uh, our traditional foods. So to watch her really embrace our culture has been phenomenal to be able to back her nonstop and to be pushing her art. It's amazing to see. Ransom has been a kind of guinea pig for Jock's earrings. She also helped Jock connect with a ski company out west, Vishnu Free Ski. The company commissioned a beaded piece by Jock that took her 600 hours to make. A photo of that piece is now the design on a pair of pretty fancy downhill skis. Jock says the piece tells a story of family, of Mohawk culture, and of a time when Native children were forcibly taken from their homes and stripped of that culture. The orange colors are for the residential schools and for all those who didn't make a home. The strawberries that are there are, there's three of them. It's kind of just representing me and my sisters. And strawberries are really good medicine. Then there are rows of pink and red for the missing and murdered indigenous women. Jack says it's important for her not only to embrace her culture, but to share it with others, both the beauty and the pain. She also hopes that sharing and selling her work on Instagram inspires others to do the same. I hope that other native, younger Native artists see it and they go, oh, I can do that too. And they just try their hand at anything and they just post about it and they just try to find their voice. Jock found her voice through her beaded jewelry and through embracing her Mohawk culture. She hopes one day she can bead full-time, make a real living doing what she really loves. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio, Bloomingdale. Find photos of Jock's work at our website, ncpr.org. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Mo. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, kick up your heels this weekend. We'll preview a community dance in Canton. After that, we're combining birding and skateboarding coming up on Bird Note at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Snowing right now in Canton. Uh, the weather service says a mix of snow, sleet, rain in the forecast today. Uh, we were under a winter weather advisory for much of the region through 7 o'clock this morning. That meant some slippery roads uh, and continues to mean some slippery roads during this morning's commute. That should uh, become snow for much of the region today. Maybe some rain showers, depending on how mild it gets. And then tomorrow, much the same. Maybe some snow, sleet, rain on Thursday, snow showers on Friday. Mostly cloudy skies on Saturday and Sunday. Again, uh, snow showers right now in Canton, 33 degrees. Traditional arts in upstate New York, or Tawny as it's known, is hosting a community dance this Saturday night. Late clear musician Dan Duggan will teach and call circle, square, reels, and contra dances. Dan and the Saranac Lake Trio High on the Hog will keep your feet moving with live old-time string band music. Dan told our Todd Moe this will be a family-friendly community dance and no prior dance experience is needed. So you're saying that if I don't know how to dance, but I can at least get up and move around, there's no excuse for me not to be there Saturday night. There is no excuse. 
you can get out there and I will teach you every step of the way. It's just going to be a lot of fun. I do. I've done a lot of these, and um, I'm really, I'm really thrilled to be able to do this through the um, through the our Creators Rebuild New York grant that that Tony got. So I'm doing all these programs and creating programs throughout the North Country, um, and it's it's building community uh, through music, which is I just think is a wonderful, wonderful thing, um, and I'm really excited because in the winter time, um, granted the weather is reasonably good it's a great thing to do to go inside and get a chance to visit with your neighbors and just just enjoy yourself and and move around and maybe get a little sweat going if we do everything right (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be such a nice chance for people to gather midwinter and i have to say as someone who loves to dance it's so fun to dance to live music Oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing in the world. And and this is an, a wonderful old-time string band. Um, so if you like old-time music, these guys are great. Uh, Tyler's a wonderful young fiddler. Bill's a great flawhammer banjo player, mandolin player, Marion's wonderful uh, guitar player, and, um, and he also plays banjo and is a great singer. And then I'll be you know chiming in on the Hammered Olsimer, and I also will be calling... So it'll be, it's just going to be a whole lot of fun. And as you, as you said before, a wonderful opportunity for people to get together. And, you know, Tony just is doing so many great things and, uh, and is such an asset to the community, especially around Canton uh, and Potsdam area. So if, if you're in the area, we're going to invite you to come on by because you don't want to miss it. <laughs> and you're going to do dance calling and dance instruction. So if we're a little rusty on our contra dancing, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I do a lot of uh, dances are, are are more based in um, in like play parties. So there'll be a lot of uh, just really fun real dances, which are line dances uh, where you face each other, uh, circle dances that are progression dances similar to countenances, except they're, they're moving as a couple in a circle. Um, some score dances, maybe a country dance or two thrown in. But even if you're not a uh, an avid dancer, it's a great opportunity to dance because I'm going to teach it every step of the way. And once again, it's not going to be a, a really, um, really technically difficult uh, dance. It's just fun, just a really fun chance. So if you have kids that you want to bring, that's great. You know, we, we love having kids dance and love having them learn the music and hear the music, which is really a great thing. Uh, are you So let me get a little update from you too, Dan, as long as I've got you on the phone, about the uh, the dulcimer classes. Are they still going on at Tawny? Or is, is there something happening later this spring that you want uh, folks to know about? Oh, yes. I'm doing, uh, through this grant, which has is, is been a fantastic thing through the Creators Rebuild New York grant, the next uh, workshop will be in February, Saturday, February 11th. And then we'll also have one, I think it's March 4th. So there are going to be workshops. I've also set up, through working with Tilly Lind, who is the new program director, a Cabin Fever concert series. That's going to be one concert every month. Um, through April, we'll have uh, High on the Hog is coming back in February to do a concert on February 10th. Peggy and I uh, on March 10th, and then Dan Bergeron on um, the 14th. 
And then Jamie Savage, I believe, will be able to reschedule his concert on, um, I think it's going to be sometime in the end of uh, March. And also, another uh, program I'm, I'm setting up at Tawny is uh, when the kids go on their spring break, we're going to be doing a lap dulcimer building workshop where we, we have some cardboard lap dulcimer kits, and we've ordered about a dozen of them. And then we're going to be uh, putting those together on February 11th. And then on um, February 18th, I'm going to do a building thing with the kids where we all do all the cluing and putting the tuning machines on, on the wooden necks. And then in the middle of the week, we'll have a session where all the kids will learn how to play in poetry teams. And then we'll have a little concert sometime in the end of February for everybody to hear what the kids are doing on the, on the lap dulcimers. You can find out about all the events from Dan Duggan and others at Tawny at their website, tawny.org. And this Saturday night, Dan Duggan will teach and call Circles, Square, Reels, and Contra Dances at 7 o'clock at Tawny and Canton. The trio High on the Hog and Dan on Dulcimer will provide the live music. Tickets will be available at the door by donation. Masks are encouraged, but not required. Some music with Dan Duggan and friends. It's uh, 26 minutes past 8. This is Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. Thank you so much for listening this morning. We're back to more of Morning Edition in just a few minutes. But I do want to remind you, there's a lot going on this week around our region. The uh, Richard F. Brush Art Gallery is uh, hosting a a St. Lawrence University arts faculty show. It opens today, continues through late February. Uh, It's called Visual Thinking, and it includes works uh, by Velma Bolliard, Kasarian Dane, Amy Hauber, Sarah Noble, Liza Page, 
Melissa Schillenberg and uh, Ray Whalen. And you'll find more information on the St. Lawrence University website, stlawu.edu slash events. Again, it opens today at the Brush Art Gallery. Some fabulous art by the arts faculty uh, at uh, St. Lawrence University. Check it out. And the World University Games, again, as a reminder, are continuing through Sunday. There are lots of events to attend and check out this morning. If you're in the Lake Placid Cernak Lake region, you can check out the uh, the cross-country skiing. It's women's and men's pursuit. That's this morning. Also, women's curling is this morning. If you're more in the Canton-Potsdam Hanawa Falls area. There's men's ice hockey between the USA and Kazakhstan starting at 9.30 this morning. Lots of events going on. You can find out more at lakeplacid2023.com slash events. Also, Ski with a Scientist continues at the Paul Smith's Vic this week from 11 to 12.30. You can ski with experts in multiple fields that revolve around climate, reducing carbon inputs and how to create a sustainable future. Uh, the scientists will stop along the stunning winter landscape of the Paul Smith College Vic and talk about uh, their field of expertise. That uh, starts at 11 o'clock this morning. That's at the Vic at Paul Smith's College. Check that out. And for you want more information, uh, visit the website, paulsmiths.edu slash vic. And as we're hibernating a little bit more this time of year, don't forget to check out the the HAPS at the Adirondack Folk School in Lake Luzerne. They've always got wonderful programming going on from blacksmithing to chair caning. This weekend, they're uh, teaching folks how to make a birch bark picture frame and mirrors when they're always taught by experts, including this one, Jim Schreiner. It's a two-day class, great for beginners with limited experience with woodworking and tools. You can find out more from adirondackfolkschool.org. Always teaching wonderful traditional handmade crafts. Thanks for joining us. That's Northern Light for this Wednesday, January 18th. Morning Edition continues in just a couple of minutes. After that, stick around for the Marketplace Morning Report between 8.51 and 9 o'clock, where we'll get caught up on all the morning's business news. I'm Monica Sandresky. I'm Todd Moe. Be well.